If you're tuning in for the first time, uh, for the past few months, we've been in a series titled The Spirit-Filled Church, uh, where we've been studying the book of Acts. What we have in Acts is the origin story of the church, uh, the sequel to the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' closest friends would pick up where he left off, but the breadth of their mission would far exceed that of their teacher. Jesus told them that they would do greater things than he did and it would be for their benefit that he leave them. And that's because his leaving would mean the Holy Spirit would enter their lives. The same Spirit that empowered Jesus in his ministry and raised him from the dead would reside in the disciples. So the newly Spirit-filled disciples began their mission, and there was an immediate explosion of new life. The disciples would preach the good news of Jesus, and thousands upon thousands would repent and be baptized. The very same people who rejected Jesus and played a part in his crucifixion would now profess him as their savior. But as the followers of Jesus grew, opposition and persecution equally grew in its intensity. Uh, Last week, we saw it finally boiling over as we learned of the first martyr of the early church in Stephen. The stoning of Stephen triggered a great persecution which led to the scattering of the church. We are also introduced to Saul of Tarsus, who was determined to destroy the gospel movement. He would go door to door to imprison anyone who professed in Jesus. And this is where we'll pick it up. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to Acts 8, and we'll start at verse 4 and end at 25. Let's give our full attention to the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from the NIV. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is a divine power known as the Great Power. They followed him, because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. 
Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Amen. I think it's providential that we are in the book of Acts, especially in the season of our community. Although the time and culture are very different, there are a lot of things we share in common with this early church. <clears throat> the church in Acts was young in its early stages. Citizens is only a few years old. The early church experienced rapid numeric growth. And in our first year of being fully in person, we've seen tremendous growth in our Sunday attendance. There was a buzz and excitement in, in the Acts church. And there is hype with Citizens LA which I didn't really know can happen with churches, but I guess it's a real thing. The beauty and benefit of being an Acts in this season of our church is that we can trace and assess in real time how we are doing as a church. Are we on or off brand with the Spirit's work and activity? Are we being faithful to or veering off the path of those that preceded us? Although the book of Acts isn't a prescription of how to do church, it helps us to get back to the roots of our faith and gives us much-needed renewed vision of the church, which is somewhat blurry in this time. You know, in the past few years, we've seen the Christian church highly politicized, to the point where the church is now synonymous with certain political ideologies. Now, I believe the church has a responsibility to help its members be informed and thoughtful voters, but the church in Jesus was never designed to the Church of Jesus was never designed to align with political parties and agendas. And so what we see and what we have is an unhealthy syncretism that distracts us from what the church actually is supposed to be. And so we have to do the hard work of scraping off the debris that's tattered to the church to get back to the essence of who we are to be. And so what we have in the early chapters in Acts is what I believe church at its best and highest form. And my hope for this sermon is for us to see the qualities of a church at its best and envision and dream of becoming that church together. There are several qualities of the church at its best that I want us to see. The first is this, the church is at its best when its witness is scattered. In Acts 1, Jesus told the disciples that when the Spirit falls on them, that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Up to this point, the witness of the apostle, apostles have been centralized in Jerusalem, but we are now seeing it slowly move outward. And it's interesting to note that persecution was a cause of the spread of the gospel. You know, the great persecution could have been easily seen as a setback, as a major roadblock to the movement, but the opposite happened. It only propelled the expansion of the church. And we're reminded once again that even in the most disappointing and difficult circumstances, there is something good that God is orchestrating. And it's not always what it seems. Jane and I experienced this truth in 2014. Uh, that was a very difficult year for us. Uh, we have been married for only for a few years, and at the time, we only had our son, Deacon. There was a community we were both deeply invested in, uh, but we ended up getting hurt by them. And so when I hear about church pains and scars, Jane and I are familiar with them. And sadly, it's so common. In hindsight, uh, there were lessons learned, uh, but ultimately uh, that hurt led us to leave SoCal. 
we needed to create some distance. And so we went up to Seattle, my hometown. And that year and a half in Seattle was one of the hardest seasons of our lives. Our marriage was constantly strained. Uh, I was going through an identity crisis, contemplating leaving pastoral ministry for good. Uh, It was a very dark time for us. But what we didn't know at the time was that God was doing something else somewhere else. See, Jane's parents weren't Christians. Uh, They were Buddhists. Uh, My hope and prayer from day one was for their salvation. Us leaving SoCal triggered a number of different events. You know, my in-laws had no reason to stay in SoCal. And so what they ultimately ended up doing was they moved to Austin uh, to house Korean international students for a living. In Austin, they reconnected with a friend and that friend took them out to church. And while attending that church, they built a friendship with the pastor. And after a few months, we heard news that they received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, This was a miracle uh, for us. And even eight years later, they are still committed to Jesus and serves the church even to this day. What Jane and I didn't know and couldn't see at that time was God was doing something amazing through our scattered life. You, You may be listening to this sermon today wondering what God is doing or even if he cares, right? You've been without a job for months. Family planning has been difficult. You thought you'd find someone and be settled by now. And all life seems to be offering you is delays and disappointments. What we learn about God in this scattering is that he can and does use the most painful and frustrating situations to do something good. There's a limit to the scope of what we can see But remember, God sees all of our lives in its entirety. And and as God's beloved children, remember that it first needs to pass through His hands before it reaches us. Whether that's blessings or sufferings, or withholdings or opportunities. The scattering, although caused by persecution, showed us the church at its best. Verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Notice the apostles aren't even mentioned. They were the only ones who stayed back in Jerusalem. Everyone else scattered, which means it was ordinary, everyday people who were sharing the message of grace wherever they went. And even Philip, he wasn't an apostle. He was one of the seven who were appointed to wait on tables and serve the needs of the widows. It's subtle, but there's a major shift happening here. Although the apostles still had a vital role, which we will see come into play later in our passage, the mission is being carried out by farmers, carpenters, shepherds, craftsmen, artists, scribes, and bakers. You know, scattering is a theme we see throughout scripture. God's original plan was for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the idea is that those who possess God's image is sharing and imparting that glorious image wherever they take step. Uh, Early on in Genesis, we see uh, the Tower of Babel, uh, which was the antithesis of filling the earth. The people remained stagnant, wanting to make a name for themselves. They built a huge tower hoping to reach heaven. And so what did God do? God confused and scattered them. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing to all nations. 
God would even use other nations to scatter his people. In judgment, they would be taken into captivity. And in this scattering, the results were that foreign kings and other nations would come to know Yahweh. So whether it's through obedience, persecution, or even as a result of rebellion, we see God's divine purpose in scattering his people. But what does it look like for us today? What does a scattered witness look like for the church today? We gather on Sunday, but we scatter on Monday. The witness of the church happens not today, but in the spaces we occupy the rest of the week. That's at home, in our workplace, or at school. The primary place we are called to be a witness to the gospel is in our vocation. Now, there are unique challenges and barriers for an explicit witness, but I believe the manner in which we carry out our callings is a powerful witness in itself. And our approach will look very different than those who were scattered in the early church. They led with preaching. But for us, I believe we need to lead with practice. As Jesus said, to be salt and light. Salt preserves, it stops things from decaying. But salt also elevates the goodness of things. Light helps others to see and navigate, and it brings hope. Jesus told his followers to let your light shine, that others may see your good work and give glory to God. You know, many of us will not be vocational pastors or missionaries, but that doesn't mean we don't have a missional calling. And when I think about the vast and diverse spaces our citizens' community occupies, it excites me. We have so many gifted people in this church. We have artists, entertainers, social influencers, legal and healthcare professionals, teachers, accountants, chefs, business owners, musicians, homemakers, software engineers, architects, and the list goes on and on and on. Being salt and light means you do whatever it is that you do with excellence and integrity, not compromising, being kind and good to all those around you. God has gifted us in amazing ways, and yes, to provide for yourself and your family, but also to be a living testimony of God's goodness and excellence. You know, pastors and missionaries have an important responsibility to preach the gospel, but your reach in your vocation, in all those different spaces, you have a far greater reach than ours. When we understand that your calling is the main arena for your witness, not only does it dignify work itself, but it gives you a missional purpose. And one of the core values here at Citizens is this idea of priesthood of all believers. You know, God's ultimate plan was to create a nation of priests, where every individual will mediate God's goodness and presence. A church at its best, its witness is scattered through the city. The second quality of a church at its best is that it offers holistic care for others. For a non-apostle, Philip possessed some amazing abilities. Verse 6, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. 
So there was, great, uh, there was great joy in that city. We see Philip healing not only spiritual ailments, but also physical ones. Not only casting out demons, but healing the lame. And this is so important for us to remember that when we talk about gospel renewal, we aren't only talking about a new spiritual reality, but a pursuit of holistic renewal of spirit, mind, and body. And again, we see this theme in God's care throughout Scripture. In the wilderness, God gave Israel the law for their spiritual needs, but also He fed them with quail and manna with his prophet Elijah, when he was exhausted and depressed. Not once, but twice, God wakes him up and tells him to eat. Jesus not only forgave sins, but he healed diseases and disabilities. And when we look at Peter's life, even before spiritually restoring Peter, he had breakfast waiting for him to eat. We are pursuing holistic healing and holistic faith to not only pray with you and for you, but also to offer real resources and support. And that's why we have spaces like Abide, our monthly prayer gathering to grow in these spiritual practices. But also we have a space for us to eat, drink, and laugh with each other in our city events. And we want to avoid the false dichotomy that we often create between what is spiritual and secular. Eating and drinking and laughing with one another is as much of a spiritual exercise as our prayer gatherings. And again, we see Jesus model this perfectly. He retreats to be with God, to be refilled spiritually. But we also find him regularly eating and drinking in other people's homes. Scattered witness, holistic care. And third, the church at its best seeks to build and bridge divides. You know, Jesus charged his disciples to go and be a witness in Jerusalem. Okay, they're fine with that. In Judea, okay, I'm down. But when he mentioned Samaria, it would have immediately created anxiety and tension. See, there was a long and messy history between the Jews and Samaritans, kind of and akin to the history between North and South Korea and then the Northern and Southern states in our American history. After King Solomon's reign, a dispute of who takes the throne split Israel into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern called Judah. And in 722 BC, the north was conquered by Assyria and they colonized them. And as a result, there was intermarrying, syncretism of the pagan gods of Assyria with the Jewish faith. And at insult to injury, they created their own temple and claimed to worship the true God. So culturally, ethnically, and religiously, Jews and Samaritans were mortal enemies. Jews had embedded in their laws restrictions of any Jew interacting with any Samaritan. And so what we see in the scattering of the early church is served as a bridge for the Samaritans and other Gentiles to enter Jesus' kingdom. And this is amazing. Salvation being a gift of grace, all people, no matter what culture, what language, what traditions, were invited to belong. And there's, no, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, but all are one in Christ. 
You know, we see in Jesus' own ministry, everyone would have told him, take the long route around Samaria. But he said that he deliberately needed to go through Samaria. And what we see him doing there is he has this amazing encounter with an adulterous woman at a well. And that conversation radically transformed this woman's life. We are living in a time where lines are sharper than ever. The divides are clear and people are being pushed deeper into their own tribes. And with the presidential election around the corner, I anticipate this divisive spirit more and more. And for the church, it's almost impossible to be untouched by what we see and hear around us. But the church is supposed to be an alternative community. We're not to resemble the, the divisions around us, but rather reflect the message of the gospel that tells us that even while yet we were enemies of Jesus, that he died for our sins and that he bridged the gap. Uniformity is unimpressive. If you want uni uniformity, you have new cha news channels for that. See, the goal for the church is unity in the midst of diversity of culture, background, and even ideas. The church isn't supposed to create a moat to prevent people from entering, but rather bridges to allow others to receive the gift, gift of grace we've received. If you stay long enough, maybe even come out to a city event or join a community group, I guarantee you'll run into someone who's on the opposite side of the aisle, who have different positions than, than the one you hold. People will rub you the wrong way with their ideas. And our immediate impulse may be made to dismiss that person or leave altogether. I mean, there's so many churches around us that you can choose from. But what grace calls us to do is not to dismiss or to leave, but actually to move towards, to sacrifice, to still love those individuals that are different than us. It's not easy, but as those who have been reconciled to God, we are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. So the church at its best, we see scattered witness, holistic care, uh, they build bridges, and lastly, the church that is at its best will do everything it can to keep Jesus at its center. You know, before the gospel reached Samaria, uh, there was a Samaritan man who was revered and worshipped. His name was Sa Simon Magnus, or Simon the Sorcerer. He has special abilities, and he called himself great and was treated that way. He was included in those who repented and believed in the gospel after Philip's preaching. When the apostles heard the news of the revival in Samaria, they sent Peter and John to confirm. And upon arriving, they realized, although the, they've received the gospel, the Spirit wasn't imparted to them yet, which was unusual. This was not a normal occurrence. Even Peter, in his early sermons, said that everything happens at once. When you repent and you're baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. So how do we make sense of this two-part conversion? Just a few thoughts. The ministry that was first entrusted to the apostles, now we see this grassroots movement of Christians moving outward without the apostles. So I believe that they needed affirmation 
right, that the gospel message that they preached in Samaria was real. And so John and uh, Peter represents another layer of leadership and accountability. That's the first thing. Secondly, I think Simon's sorcerer posed as a possible real threat to the church. We find out that he wanted the same gifts Peter and John had for themselves, uh, for himself. If not for the spiritual discernment of Peter and John, there could have been disaster in the new church at Samaria with Simon's sorcerer. But again, Peter and John came and saw what was happening, and they stopped it. And we know that the greatest threat to the church isn't outside opposition or outside persecution. Often the greatest threat to the church comes from within. And we see this happening all around us in churches. There are both leaders and members who want to make it about themselves or make it about something other than Jesus. And Simon the Sorcerer represents that. Peter and John are contending for and wanting to make sure Jesus is at the center. And I love this picture of community in Acts 8. There are the scattered, there's Philip, and then we also see the apostles, Peter and John. Multiple layers of ministry and accountability, all to fight to make the church about what it's supposed to be about. And so for us as citizens, we have the staff, we have our directors, we have our volunteers, our praise team, and everyone listening to this sermon that calls citizens home. We all need to fight to make sure that citizens is about Jesus and not about anything else. When we have Jesus in the center, we will be radically shaped by grace. And grace has the power to remove the two greatest defects of the human heart, which actually tears apart community as well, and that's fear and pride. When we fight and exert to make it all about Jesus, we will be like the church we see in Acts, a church at its best, where our witness is scattered all across LA, where we pursue holistic, the holistic well-being of others, and a church that builds bridges and not moats, so that all who need can experience the love and grace of Jesus. This is the church we aspire to be, because this is who Jesus is. He embodies this idea, right? He left his throne and was scattered into our world. He not only preached forgiveness, he gave his life for it. He died not for the righteous, but for his enemies. The cross bridged the eternal chasm between us and God. And because of this amazing grace, we are called to be like Jesus in this way to all of those around us. And if citizens is at its best, we will see verse 8 come true. So there was great joy in that city. When citizens is at its best, we will see LA at its best. So church, may we be a city within a city, transformed by the gospel, living out the life of heaven here and now. For our joy, yes, but also for the joy of LA. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the witness of the early church. I thank you, Lord, for our church and for your amazing grace and love towards us. 
Help us, Lord, uh, to be uh, a scattered witness of your love and grace to those around us in our vocation, at home, in our workplaces, in all the social environments that you've placed us in, that we can be the aroma of Christ. Help us, Lord, to uh, seek the well-being, the holistic well-being of our members. And we provide a means and a way for us to not only know you in deeper ways, but to live our lives full of joy. Help us, Lord, as citizens to be bridge builders uh, so that others can come and experience uh, this gospel message and the hope that it offers. And Father, may we be a community that contends to keep Jesus in the center because it's so easy to make it about ourselves or other things. So God, we need your help. We thank you that you're with us and we thank you that you're so faithful to your bride. Help us, Lord, to pursue and be this community like, or like the church that we see in Acts for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.